Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monoreal Radio, episode number 220. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And welcome back to What the February. I just want to be straight with the listeners from the jump. When you pitched this to me again, I audibly groaned. <laughs> Why? Because poor Don Knotts just gets dragged through the mud every time we do What the February. Well, no, we ended up thinking that Apple Dumpling Gang was super charming. We, we really liked it. That actually, that shot up on my list. It's not, you know, is it in my top 10? No, but it was such a pleasant surprise. And it is a film that I go back to and rewatch now. Like, it's something that I wish I had grown up on, like a Pete's Dragon or something. For sure. And to be fair, I'm sure that there are people who watch Pete's Dragon and go, what the February? So no, my issues are not with the Don Knotts films. It's just that when we hit things like Fuzz Bucket and some of the things, the titles that we were looking at when picking out the films for this month, I'm very concerned. <laughs> well, <laughs> That's all I can say. You had a one-year sabbatical from it because last year during February, we were packing up and getting ready for the move down here. So we didn't do a what the February. No, we were doing like winter sports. I got the Olympics, I got like right? A two year break. Well, we're back. What the February? So for those who are not familiar with it, this is a month in which we discuss films that either the titles make you say WTF or the plot makes you say WTF in some or the cases thumbnail. <laughs> yeah, or the thumbnail. In some cases it could be both or all three. And this week we are talking about Gus. Okay, so you have a mule in a football helmet and Don Knotts is yelling at him in the thumbnail was about all I needed to put this one first this month for What the February. Yeah, there was one other title that I was thinking of that would make for a good What the February film, and we are going to get to it. But when we started scrolling through Disney+, and we saw this, you wanted to review it, and I said we should lead with it. Yes. So, the questions that are going to get answered today. What have we gotten ourselves into? What have we gotten ourselves into does it belong in what the February and does it exceed our expectations? That on top of many other things, I'm sure, is what we are here to discuss today. This episode is sponsored by Fierce Fox Co., designers of handmade silkscreen shirts. Fierce Fox has a t-shirt, tank top, hoodie, or crew neck for every fandom. So whether it's the movies or theme parks, princesses or villains, the MCU or Star Wars, everyone will find something they love. The designs range from subtle quotes from our favorite films to iconic characters we can wear proudly in so many different styles, such as sketchbook and my personal favorite concert tees. They have a Powerline concert tee, and if you know, you know. And there's also one of Kristoff for Lost in the Woods, and I'm obsessed. Listeners of Monoreal Radio can get a 20% discount using the code Monoreal. That's just Monoreal, no numbers, at checkout. Visit FierceFoxDesignCo.com to check out all of the collections. In Yugoslavia, we meet Andy and his mule Gus, who can kick a soccer ball over 100 yards. In the U.S., Jackie's already losing it. In the U.S., the California Adams are the laughing stock of the NFL, 
and owner Hank Cooper is badly in debt to two bookmakers, Charles Gwynn and Cal Wilson. Needing a good halftime show to draw in fans, Hank hires Andy and Gus at the behest of his secretary, Debbie, who he then assigns to keep an eye on the pair because she's like a quarter Yugoslavian, so, you know, that trends. With Cooper unable to pay his debts, Gwynn and Wilson bet to erase his debts if the Adams win the Super Bowl or else they take control of the team. During their next game, Cooper instructs coach uh, Venner to put Gus in as the place kicker, and Gus earns the Adams a victory, and thus begins a winning streak. Gwyn and Wilson are furious and concerned for their bet, so they hire Crankcase and Spinner, two recently paroled criminals, to prevent Gus from playing. From kidnapping Gus to getting him drunk, they do everything they can to keep Gus out of the games, while Andy is distracted by a love triangle between himself, Debbie, and her on-again, off-again boyfriend, Rob Cargill, who plays for the Adams before being traded away. Well, the Adams make the Super Bowl, and right before the game... Uh, Crankcase and Spinner swap Gus for another mule, who of course cannot kick field goals, and they go to a hotel where they hold Gus, not hostage, but they hold him until the end of the game. Well, Gus escapes, and through a bunch of slapstick and a very long, dragged-out scene in a grocery store, the two are arrested. Gus is airlifted to the Super Bowl, where instead of kicking a field goal, he lays down and makes Andy be the hero, where he wins the Super Bowl for the Adams, he wins the girl, and he wins the affections of both his mother and his father, whom he was always in the shadow of his older brother, who is a soccer star in Yugoslavia. Okay. (laughs) Somebody funded this movie. Somebody pitched it. Somebody greenlit this movie. Well, I think it's worth noting that it was in the 70s and this is when <laughs> things really started to go south at the company and it's kind of no wonder why. Ron Miller greenlit a lot of stuff that kind of surprised people. Things like this, the Apple Dumpling Gang, the Cat from Outer Space, which ended up being a gem, by the way. Um, so I, I, <laughs> I, I want to sit here and tell you that... This is going to have the same outcome, but I'm not so sure. Well, I think it's also worth noting, and we are going to talk a lot about the casting characters later, but I think it's worth noting up top the cast that he did manage to get. Like, it, it baffles me how you pitch this film, but you managed to secure Ed Asner, Don Knotts, and Tom Bosley. And Johnny Unitas and Dip. Uh, Dick Butkus. This is a this is a superstar cast. Like don't like don't be fooled. This, especially for its time, was a superstar cast. Okay, let's get right into it. Starting with the opening scene, the soccer scene, which is stock footage oh into God. some of the worst blue screen I've ever seen, to the point where the colors on the jerseys of the players don't even match. I really appreciate what they were trying to do here, but the stock footage doesn't match at all. And maybe that better that looked better on low def TVs back in the day, but it does not translate now. No, it stands out like a sore thumb. And it does throughout the entire movie. 
so we get past that, and now we get introduced to how everything is going to play out, right? Andy is... I'm not going to say he's I'm not going to say he's struggling to find himself, but he is struggling being in the shadow of his older brother, the soccer star in Yugoslavia. And his mother supports him, his father does not, and the film the the scene on the farm that sets this whole thing up is Andy is bouncing a soccer ball on his head and he falls into a well. And his mother reacts like it's a 5-year-old that fell in who doesn't know how to swim. Yeah. This is a grown man. I would honestly be more concerned about him, how he actually fits in the well and, and not getting like stuck because I imagine he's like tucked into a ball or something and all they do is lower the basket so that he can climb up the rope and get out. Yeah. And she tells him to stick to his butterfly collection to which he exclaims, I wish I never see another soccer ball again. So Gus, listening to that request, kicks it away. The animal actor, let me, I'm going to say this now. The animal actor, spectacular. The mule that they got to play Gus, he was really, really good. I dare say he carries the film. He, he, he kind of does. <laughs> no, and I think they only used... The one mule. I don't think this was a couple that they swapped out, except for the scene where uh, they replace Gus. Right. I don't think that this was a case of, you know, they had like 10 that they were switching in and out. I think they just, you know, were very smart about the time that they got with him. Yeah. So he punts the ball and the fight song starts to play. And here it says, Gus, here's your title card. And then it ends. And you think, oh, that was a very quick opening sequence. You also think that Andy is going to be your A story because they've now invested so much time in him. You would think. Not really. Not at all. These opening credits... (laughs) Yeah. Are are so awful. Well, I mean, maybe awful's not fair because the titles and everything look okay. And the fight song is fine. It actually reminded me of the opening of Absent-Minded Professor. Yeah. However, that was also the Sherman Brothers' first foray with Disney. So this was not the same thing because it wasn't the Sherman Brothers. It It's not the song. It's not the titles. It's the way that they are using it. Because they are splicing them into a scene. And we see it all the time where, you know, the scene will continue. There's dialogue. Maybe it's scored underneath. And then you have, like, your main cast just fading in and out with their introductions. Yeah. These are full cards of full credits. We're talking, like, producers, editors, sound, costumes, props. So they cut to these large slates listing everyone But it's going in and out of a scene where they're talking about the struggling football team. Yeah, they're watching game film. It wouldn't have been so bad, except they keep throwing the fight song in. It is so unbelievably jarring. And there was such an easy solution to this, in my opinion. Instead of, like, giving us plot... What we should have seen was Gus gaining in popularity. Like, we should have seen some headlines with this superstar mule who can kick a a soccer ball. Right. So that way, when Gus is brought to the States, 
we can put two and two together as the audience as to how this the football team, the Adams, even found out about him in the first place. Right, because there's a throwaway line later that, oh, I saw this in the newspaper. We should get him. We should see those papers. We should see the papers instead of watching four minutes of game film that show us that they are the worst team in the league. Like, not for anything, but really good sports movies where you have, like, the quote-unquote worst team in the league. Whether it be the Charlestown Chiefs or whether it be in the Waterboy you, or, or the Replacements. You don't, like, you'll show them struggling, but you don't need to waste so much time showing how bad they are. Exactly. They could have come back from the credits had they done something like with the head, the Gus headlines. And then you see, you know, either, I don't even think you need to see them watching the footage. You could have just started bringing them onto the field because I actually thought that, um, the, the idea of needing good halftime entertainment as a draw for ticket sales is a good setup. It is knowing that you're never going to afford the good enough players to put you over the top. That are going to bring people into the stadium, sure. But I'm four minutes and 50 seconds into the film. I timed it. And I th- and my note is this poor cast. Uh, because some of the slapstick, and I know that it's Disney in the 70s and it's a family film, but some of the slapstick is just like way too over the top. And it's like predictable. It's like, oh, that cheerleader is going to fall through that drum in three, two, Boom. Like, you can just time all of it in your head because it's so, like, it's so formulaic exactly how everything's going to happen. Not just formulaic story-wise, but the, the pacing of the edits, too, is not done well for comedy, especially with a film like this. And I'm, I'm giving it a lot of credit categorizing it as, as, as a comedy. Um, the other thing that I bump on with this open is that this practice makes it feels like a a high school football game. And this is supposed to be the NFL. Yeah. It's amazing that the NFL licensed all of their teams and logos for this. That's what I was thinking. Like the Adams are obviously a fictitious team, but every opponent is an NFL team. And they say NFL several times throughout the film. So it blew my mind. I mean, I, I get what they're doing. It's exactly what you said. They're trying to set up the slapstick and they're trying to show us like how bad everything is and why they need to invest so much in the entertainment. But just the size of the practice field, the way that the cheerleaders aren't, nobody's practicing in uniform. That's the other thing. If it's the NFL, everybody has to be in full uniform for practice. So it's already starting off on a bad note. And then... To your point, even with the cheerleaders, not only are the jokes falling flat, they are just so mean because all of the men are pointing out the physicality of these women. And you could have punched it up for comedy so much if the cheerleaders were sort of in on this joke that they don't want to be there either with this crappy team. And they were sort of doing this ironically. And instead, they're taking digs at how old these women are. They're not in so many words calling them ugly, but like to their faces. They're right there. They're standing right next to them. Yeah, but Ed Asner 
has some of the best dialogue in this scene, not just with the cheerleaders, but I'm saying like his his form of comedy when it comes to everything, when he comments on everything, it's snarky. So you're right. When it comes to the cheerleaders, it's mean spirited. But he's saying the same thing about his players and the same thing about everybody else that works for him. So when he does it, there's actually very funny dialogue here that gets wasted because it's buried in this movie. Like, had this been in another movie, you'd be rolling on the floor. It would be a quotable line. But because it's in this movie, you don't see it. And the thing with Ed Asner's character, too, you're right. The one guy, he makes the note that, like, okay, here should be a new rule with the cheerleaders. If they have three kids or they've been married for 10 years, they're automatically off the team. Whereas Ed Asner, the joke that he made was... uh when when they said, oh, well, this he's like, this seems like the same old group that we had the last few years. And they said, well, that's who came back. And he made the joke, well, of course, they're about to get their pensions. Like, that's, that's, a, that's a funny, to me, that's a funny line because you're commenting on the fact that they're older without just saying you're an old hag. Yes. That's like the really witty dialogue where it's like, okay, he's, he's saying it without saying it. He found a funny way and a tasteful way of saying it. But when it's being said in response to his counterpart, which is, as you're saying, being more mean-spirited, more mean-spirited than him, it's it's kind of like, well, where did this really witty, smart comedy go in literally five seconds? I think the other issue is is who they cast to play these cheerleaders because. It's not like, and I I know this is like a big point of contention with a lot of people now, it's not like in Home Alone with Buzz Your Girlfriend Woof, because everybody thinks that that's so mean. They recognized that when they were making the film, and they cast someone's son to take the picture of the girlfriend, so you're not poking fun at an actual woman and putting her down. Here, they didn't do that. No, and in, like, again, a movie like The Waterboy, you have the cheerleaders are there, ironically, they're drunk, they're smoking, they're, a, they're as much of a mess as the team is, but in a way that it doesn't make them the butt of the joke, per se. And that's what I'm saying. They should have done it more ironically, where the cheerleaders didn't want to be there any more than this coach wants them there, so... It, it could have been a lot more funny and it was a wasted opportunity. Uh, so then, like you said before, they get we get the throwaway line of, oh, there's this mule that kicks a soccer ball. We should get him. And, you know, this is this is all done with more of the witty dialogue. Yeah. That they're pitching this outrageous idea. But at this point, they're kind of like, well, we've got nothing to lose. So why not? This is where it just would have been a little bit more helpful to see Gus's popularity grow before they even get this idea because it it would give us a little bit more to go on how they even found out about him. I I feel like the newspaper headline is just such cheap writing and it would have also, you know, because at this point Andy was supposed to be our A story. Had they leaned into that a little bit more it could have expanded on the idea of Andy trying to impress his father and given us a reason that he would even want to bring Gus over to the States and and show him 
he's in that same boat. He's got nothing to lose in the eyes of his father. So why not take the mule to the States and see if he can make something of himself? Instead, he just shows up. Yeah. And there he is at the airport walking down the moving sidewalk with the mule and Debbie, who has been sent to fetch him because her mother is part Yugoslavian. So naturally, naturally, when she sees Andy. No, that's the other guy with the mule in the airport. Of course it's Andy. Yeah, there were two mules on that plane. I will give them that, though. Big props for the sight gags here because the horse was on the plane. Yeah, the the sight gags in the movie, by and large, are quite good. Um, So now we get Gus, we get Andy. They're at the practice. They have him kick the football, which he's never kicked before, but he kicks it as good as he kicks his soccer ball. Oyich, and he kicks it, right? I do love the oy. I I don't know what it is, but I I love the line, and I love the delivery of it. So they put them in for the first halftime show, and Andy is the one that gets stage fright and runs off the field, and Gus literally pushes Andy back onto the field. And something that they do a couple of times throughout the film, but I wish they would have leaned into a little bit more, is that Gus continues to push Andy to the point where Andy, especially later when he gets involved with this love triangle with Debbie, like, eventually, like, he's going to man up and do it for himself. That never pays off because it's always Gus that pushes Andy. Andy, in very little instances throughout this film actually take for a for a lack of better term and no pun intended takes the ball and runs with it he like Andy never has that moment where he grows as a character because it's always Gus that just pushes him to do things yeah he never has that aha moment where he realizes he needs to do it on his own without Gus's help and that's exactly what I'm talking about is based on the plot description based on Uh, The thumbnail, everything I thought going into this film was that it was going to be sort of that buddy comedy where the mule helps him find himself and gives him confidence. And they set all of that up in that first scene because he's standing in his brother's shadow. So again, I thought that that was going to be the story that we were tracking. And unfortunately, from here on out, it sort of fades into the background in favor of we need to kidnap Gus. It it honestly it feels like two different films at this point. And I I know I mean yes, those two stories are very much intertwined, but the A story really becomes about the football team and the football team's success. When we we know like maybe one player on the team. So you don't even really get the buddy story in that way where the team rallies behind Andy either. Yeah, instead you get this really strange storyline where Cooper comes up with the idea of this wager for the team and he says that he's wagering that they can win half of the games but it's Wilson and Gwyn that turn back around and say no go to the Super Bowl I'm thinking now I know that they say that the team's broke they have no money and I'm thinking that he's putting up this wager behind an investor right Or like a silent partner in the team so that he can keep the team going. It was not until I actually read the plot of this film that I found out that they were bookmakers and these were gambling debts. Where is any of that spelled out in the movie? Right. 
And that could have been really funny. How is it that you have this major plot point that he's trying to relieve himself of gambling debts, and yet that's not clear at all in the film? No, and since that's the case, I don't think that they needed to lean into the hijinks any harder because Lord knows we're going to talk about some of the stunts that they pulled off with this mule. But knowing that they were like acts of desperation working against the team, it it didn't necessarily need clarity for that, but it would have made it a lot funnier that this is what they were resorting to. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the first game that Gus gets into. This is the Packers game. Yes. Starting with the fact that, um, they lost the first game. They win this game and are then declared as undefeated. (laughs) There are continuity issues throughout the movie. That being one of them. The other thing is... How they get Gus into the game. They're on, I think, their own, like, 12-yard line. You're looking at a 100-yard field goal. And Cooper tells Venner to put Gus in as the place kicker. And when he comes out onto the field, everybody is saying, how can a mule be in the game? So poor Johnny Unitas, who suffers through this film as a sportscaster that is not allowed to speak reads a rule out loud saying that a player is not deemed a man woman or animal so as long as they are on the field as a player in uniform they are allowed to play if what we need is a physical being in uniform but what you ignore is that you have an active roster in the NFL. And if the player is not named on the active roster, they are ineligible to play the game. This is not a new rule. This is not a rule that only exists recently. This was not a rule that did not exist in the 1970s. If you are not named on the roster, which Gus and Andy are not, although they are employees of the team, that on its own makes them ineligible to play. So the whole notion that they're like, well, it doesn't say man, woman, child, animal. Uh, If you're in a uniform, you're allowed to play. It's amazing that that was where they went with that, that that was like the quote-unquote loophole that Cooper found. Honestly, I thought that that was going to be another major plot point of the entire film was that people kept challenging the idea of the mule on the field and that they were going to lean more into the rules of it. No. I thought that was going to be the whole film, honestly, was that, you know, Gus keeps, you know, he, he improves their record and everybody else is trying to find ways to kick him out. To circle back to what you said about the announcers I would have honestly watched an entire movie or a spinoff with these two because you've got this Pepper Pot who he thinks who he is right clearly he has a reputation as a sportscaster but he also knows this and and like you said he doesn't give his counterpart any opportunity to speak 
I thought this was where the real comedy was in this film. I thought they were hysterical. I I would have loved to see more of them. And instead, we get like four other broadcasters that they keep switching out interchangeably. It yeah. was so confusing. I mean, I know the the ones on the TV broadcasts were a little bit different, but you have the one announcer who introduces every game and tells us who the Adams are going to play. And then you have these two doing the color commentary. So it just didn't make sense to have so many of them. And then you don't really develop any of them. So bad continuity there, but not nearly as bad as, again, the stock footage in this Packers game. The real irony here is that Gus is bought in so that they're supposed to be selling these tickets, right? Yes. So I buy the shots where there is a very sparse crowd in the state. In the close-up shots, they did it. Yes. They filled every couple of seats yeah. to demonstrate that they're not actually showing, selling the tickets, rather. But then when you cut to these broadcasters, and they're spending a lot of time up in that yep. booth because this is a bit now... The background of their shot is a full stadium. It's actually the the same as the stadium that they used uh, with the brother the at, at the soccer, soccer game. game in the first scene. Yeah. Yeah. Sold out crowds. That's the thing. You're right. When they pan to like the sideline, half filled. When they do the wide shots or go to the stock footage, full house. Which does not become so much of a problem later in the film because now they're drawing, but in right. the beginning. And it's just so funny because you're right. At one point they go, well, it's a half-packed house here tonight at the Adams game. And behind, and behind them, every <laughs> seat's filled. And everybody's like up on their feet cheering. I just on the budget alone, it would have been so much easier to hire like a couple of extras because you don't want it to look full. And shoot that and and impose it as your background instead of paying for the stock footage where it's full. But, I mean, I guess that's it. You paid for it once in the beginning, so we're just going to take that and run with it. Yeah. So the the Adams, they go on a little bit of a winning streak here, right? And Gwyn and Wilson are freaking out because they can't believe. They think that Cooper played a fast one on them by getting Gus into the game. So that's when they hire uh, Spinner and crankcase to come in and stop the mule at almost all means necessary out outside of literally disposing of the animal they are doing everything in their power and that was never that was never an option so i'm kind of glad that they didn't do the old i'll oh, just take out the animal get a gun you know like they didn't do any of that um yeah, I'm glad it didn't because beca- then it would have also become too convoluted. It would it becomes a heist film where they're trying to kill him and somebody else is trying to save him. It's not convoluted enough as it is. <laughs> um, but you do get Tom Bosley and Tim Conway, Tim Conway back in this film, much like he did with Don Knotts in the two Apple Dumpling movies. Um, so now you've got these two characters peppered in and... I think at this point, you've kind of got too much going on. Yes. Because now you have them involved with trying to get rid of Gus. Now you've also developed the love triangle with Rob and Debbie and Andy. But also now you have this other subplot where Andy's father 
I mean, there's no, he essentially hates Andy, right? Like there's, he never, he never like, to, to him, Andy's not a hero. It's about his eldest son, the soccer superstar. And like, even when Andy is being viewed as a hero in the United States for helping the Adams with Gus win these games, he goes on national television and instead of saying, oh, I'm so glad my son has become this, and he, he goes, all he holds is the ball. The mule does the kicking. What does he do? It's like, it is Yeah, like, he's like, his finger's not a hero or something. Yeah. He's so heavy-handed, and he's so over-the-top with the, I'm not going to accept you at, at any level on any circumstances, that it becomes so unrealistic and so unrelatable that I think it takes you completely out of the movie. I agree. I I actually had that same note that he is insufferable. Once Andy starts gaining all this, Andy and Gus, I should say, start gaining all this notoriety, they're on a TV broadcast, which is our fourth announcer at this point. Um, and I, they completely gloss over the fact how incredible it is for the time in the 70s to have piped in the parents in yes. Yugoslavia for this interview. Just because they're so, they're so focused on having the dad put Andy down. And... You're you're absolutely right. Instead of just having the dad ignore him and like launch into, oh, my other son, my other son, and have Andy internalize that, he goes out of his way to put him down. And this is where I'm saying if you wanted to keep this story at the forefront of Andy trying to prove himself and and believe in himself, we should have seen more of that from the beginning. I mean, yes, when he falls in the well even before that you get the first soccer game where it's oh my son my son my son and he completely ignores Andy then Andy falls in the well and you know his dad kind of treats it as like he shrugs it off as like oh this is typical of you um so again connecting these dots would have gone a long way if we had seen Gus gain this notoriety then Andy's dad is still putting them down in Yugoslavia where he can see this happening yeah Instead of having to shoehorn it in where now that he's in the States, you're you're going to set up this broadcast just so we can put him down again. You're absolutely right. It takes you out of the movie and they could have peppered it in a bit more subtly and it would have been more effective. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about some of the antics with Crankcase and Spinner. Le- okay, let's let's talk about getting the mule drunk. I actually thought this was quite funny. As did I. And I like how these kidnappings and obstacles do become more elaborate and absurd. Yes. I think if they had shortened each one a little bit, I I mean, I get it. You have the mule. You're going to lean into that. You're going to suck as much time out of it as possible. But if they had shortened all of these scenes where they're trying to derail Gus and Andy... It would have made it less convoluted, number one, so your story is more streamlined. But I think it would have been a little bit funnier instead of, you know, just everything collapsing on itself in every single scene. But this was funny. This was funny because they put vodka in his water bucket. They put vodka in his oats. Two full handles, though. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about like the big Tito's jug. It wasn't Tito's, but like 
you all know the difference if you've been to a liquor store. You get the, the little bottle or you get the jug. And these were the big ones. Yeah. So the best part about it, again, is the animal actor. Because the animal, the mule, is kind of like cross-stepping and stumbling. He's really, really good. And as they're having Gus Day at the stadium, and everybody's got like the Mickey Mouse hats on, but they're with the donkey ears, which was just spectacular. This whole scene is hysterical, and the animal was incredible. It was, but... I feel like we needed to see the public embrace Gus a little bit more and not just the the media and the team because it feels forced now with all of this Gus Day stuff because it's all being, imagine this in a Disney movie, it's all being manufactured and sold to them. So it just would have been nice to see the public cheering him on a little bit more instead of just like dressing up in the merch. Then... They up the security around Gus, so the they try a new tactic of trying to just eliminate Andy because Gus won't kick for anybody but Andy. And you have uh, Tom Bosley calls Andy to tell him that Debbie's been in an accident and she's in the hospital, so Andy goes down to do a, dr- a blood transfusion this hospital scene is great because Tom Bosley is a gem when he plays Dr. Goldman. Yes. It's hysterical. But the sight gag with the x-ray machine, that was probably the best sight gag in the movie. Yes. I wish that they had done more things like this because this is like straight out of a Disney ride where you have the actors disappear behind the screen and then the screen is just playing a video footage. It is something that you would absolutely see in the parks. Um, and I, I thought as far-fetched as this hospital scene is and and the line that he's feeding Andy about Debbie being in the accident, um, I do like the idea of separate the lock and key, right? Like if, we, if we're not going to be able to take Gus out of the picture because he won't kick for anyone but Andy. Let's get Andy out of the picture. Um, So I like that it just, it wasn't just a retread of Gus every single time that they were also trying to mess with Andy as well. I just feel like, and I mean, I get it. He's got feelings for Debbie at this point. So you're going to exploit that. Uh, And Tom Bosley's character knew it. Um, But it just took me out of it a little bit when Andy bursts in the door and Tom Bosley's there in in his scrubs, and he's like, oh, come with me. Like, no, nobody checked this. Yeah, nobody asks any questions. Yeah. Um, what takes me out of it is immediately what happens after, which is that Debbie dresses up in Andy's uniform to get Gus to kick. And he does, and the Adams win. And Andy gets so mad at Debbie that he literally goes to the airport to get on a plane back to Yugoslavia to skip the playoffs because he is so upset that she replaced him and that anybody can do it. It to me it was unnecessary drama between the two of them. Yeah, and I mean he is well really Gus is our main character, but we are supposed to be rooting for Andy and because he sort of walks off in a huff and he's handling this you know, he's being completely immature about it. It's hard to root for him at this point. But this is also where burying the relationship with his father and having that become the B story at this point. And I know we're talking about it so much. It does 
seem like it is a main through line in this film. It's not. It's that they keep bringing it up in scenes, but they don't really do anything to develop it. So because it gets buried, there's just really no motivation for Andy to be so upset over it. And it just seems like he's being reactive. Correct. And this is where Andy has not done anything for himself. He hasn't learned anything. This is where, like, the only independent thing he's done is run away. That's the problem. Like, when Gus has pushed him to come out of his shell, and finally the first independent action is to escape, that's a problem when you're developing a main character. Right. Um, All right, so now it's Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, Spinner and Crankcase do the mule swap where they have a bus blocking the road. It's supposed to be a Boy Scout bus. And while Andy is helping them get the bus out of the mud, they take Gus out of the back of his trailer, put another mule in. Great. A mule with a paint job. Yeah. Smart. It works. I love it. Um, They bring the mule to a hotel I, I because don't know of why. course, because you have to put the mule in the hotel. You got a mule, so you're gonna make it crazy and outrageous. It's got to go in an elevator. Yeah, because of course. And as he's watching the Super Bowl on TV, and he hears Andy say "Oyich," the mule <laughs> kicks the television, which was hysterical. That was worth the whole. Se- I, I at that point, I was like, okay, that's why you do this in a hotel. And then he escapes where they chase him into a way too long, especially for its very small size, grocery store scene. It's not a supermarket. It is just a grocery store. I think the runtime of this, I mean, it feels like it is playing out in real time. I don't think that they bothered to edit a lot of this. I think it was just, we got the mule in a grocery store. Things are falling over. We're going to lean into all these sight gags. I think that they wanted every single frame that they had shot to live in this film. Because it's it's not like, and I can't believe I'm bringing up Home Alone again in this review. But it's not like watching Marvin Harry eat it. Right. That's paced well. The gags don't get old. This just drags on and on and on and on. Like, think about it. If Marvin Harry maybe went through like two more rooms of the house and you got like five more minutes of them getting beat up by Kevin's traps, it would start to feel like it's dragging a little bit. Right. That's how this is. It just goes on for far too long. And I, and I get it. This is like probably when the idea was pitched, this was like your, your big scene, right? The mule's going to run rampant in a grocery store and, and you know, our two villains are going to be, you know, they're going to get covered in cake and it, it's going to be insanity. Hilarity ensues. And it just doesn't feel that way. No. And what's even crazier is when they get him to the Super Bowl. As we're watching the movie for the first time, you said, did they really put that mule on a helicopter? And I said, there's no way they could have actually done that. That's that's obviously, they put the mule on a crane and they used an interesting shot angle to make it look like he was higher off the ground than he was. And you pointed out, well, I think the mule's head is moving. Upon the second viewing, no, they really put that mule 
on a lift attached to a helicopter and flew him into a stadium. No, it's it's not an animatronic. It's not a prop. It's not I I mean they they did it. I don't know what about I I think Ron Miller had a thing for for helicopters because this is not the first movie that we've seen in this era where there's like a major scene with a helicopter. Escape from Witch Mountain had it. Yeah. And the cat from outer space. And oh my god, I forgot about that. And then later, uh, Flight of the Navigator. Oh my god. Ron Miller liked himself a helicopter scene. But if there's one thing that really outdates this movie, maybe even more so than picking fun at the cheerleaders, it's flying a mule on a helicopter. This would never happen today. No, honestly, and I'm surprised that you don't hear more about this film from like animal activist groups that want it canceled because of what they did. That would that would mean that people nowadays <laughs> have actually seen the movie. Uh, astonishingly, this was a box office smash when it came out in the 1970s. I honestly though I can see it though I can see where there was if if you market this well and it's like oh my god we got a mule we trained the mule to play football like I I can see that I still can't believe how many times we've said Super Bowl in this review and how many I hope we don't get in trouble for for not using the big game but I, it amazes me that they they license the name well, you, you are allowed to say Super Bowl unless you are within, I think, seven days of the game. You'll notice that all of the, all of the ad, uh, advertisements, when they ca- start calling it the big game, they're all within a week of that game. Because we got in trouble on the morning show for calling it the Super Bowl the week of the Super Bowl, like 15 years ago when I was one of the fill-in morning show producers. I had no idea that you were not allowed to say Super Bowl. It is no joke. You can say it after the game, and you can say it before the game as long as it's more than seven days before the game. Any less than a week, and you can't call it the Super Bowl anyway. No, that but that is relevant, because if the NFL has these kind of rules in place, they wouldn't have let a mule kick. Well, yeah, we established that. All right, so the movie ends with... The mule lays down, and he won't kick the ball. Instead, he headbutts the ball to Andy, who is now playing in the rain, and Andy gets tackled. He drops the ball. They all dive on it, and the ball slips out and magically comes back to Andy. The long and the short of it is Andy ends up running the ball back to the end zone to win the Super Bowl for the Adams. And now his father is proud of him, and the and, and and Gus winks at Debbie because Gus did this the whole time so that Andy would be the hero and not Gus. That's all well and good. And I'm glad that you got the wink because it shows ultimately that Gus did this for Andy. Yes. But at one point, Andy, as he's about to be tackled, just throws the ball away. And it just finds its way back to him. More of Andy literally not just taking the ball and running with it. Right. And then when he finally decides to do that, he says that he wants to do it for Mr. Cooper, who has been so good to him. Where where was this the whole time? Yeah, because you really... Cooper and Andy are hardly in the film together. Exactly. 
That's exactly it. And if you had tracked this story of Andy trying to overcome his father putting him down, if Mr. Cooper had taken on the role of the father figure, this would have been so motivated and it would have been so much better of an ending. Instead, we revert back to the buddy story that never was with Gus and Gus had his back the whole time and and he wanted to, you know, push him through and and see him succeed and get the girl in the end. So it it's not a terrible ending, but there just could have been more breadcrumbs sprinkled to get us there. What I really love about the ending is that Pepper Potts gets his comeuppance. Yes. Because he is I I forget even what he eats. It it, it almost seems like he ate something spicy and he's like too incapacitated to talk. He just needs water. Um so the the other anchor does get to finish out the game. Yes, Johnny Unitas. Yes, Johnny fin- Unitas. Finally gets his moment in this film. But to me, that moment is more earned than anything Gus or Andy has done. Let's talk about the cast now, starting with Gary Grimes as Andy Petrovic. Gary Grimes had a very early retirement from acting shortly after this film and I, I mean, I don't think that this movie contributed to that, but my understanding was that he was like trending in the right direction, like was either nominated for or was awarded like a Golden Globe for like a new upcoming, you know, incoming actor. And he was up and coming and he just kind of gave up to the pressures of Hollywood. I'm not going to blame this film for that, <laughs> but I certainly wouldn't blame him <laughs> if he did this and was like, yeah, I'm checking out. I'm done. Well, I mean, it's not just the final product of the film that I'm sure possibly factored in to his decision and might have been a turnoff. Who knows? He did have a challenge in that if this was early on in his career, he's working with an animal. That's not a very easy thing to do. Yeah, and he was only 20 years old when he made this movie. Right, and this was a pretty physical role. I mean, the scene where he's in the hospital... You know, obviously, we talked about the great sight gag where they go behind the x-ray machine. Um, That wasn't all him. Like, obviously, that was done as a separate video. But, you know, he does... uh, He he strings the bed sheets together to make it look like he climbed out the window and he's running around and, you know, the the football scenes. Like, it, it wasn't like he was very physical playing a lot of football except for that last game but I imagine that this was sort of a challenge in that regard and I'll say this again like the the issues with the film and I'm gonna throw this out here now the issues with the film are not with the cast right and I know I kind of said it before like this poor cast I don't blame the cast for uh, for any of this I think the cast acted the film that was written on paper the way that they were directed to do so. So, like, I don't blame them for any of this. No, neither do I. I it's, like I said, I mean, this must have read as an amazing script to lock in a cast of this caliber because you do have some really, really big names. But I have to imagine this is sort of what happened with the most recent remake of Cats, or if you want to yes. even call it a remake, because up until that point, it was just like, the Broadway play with a video camera on it. Um, You know, it attracted a very big cast, some very big names, and they've all gone on to say that 
they kind of felt something was off. But when you have a strong director at the helm or a strong producer and people that seem like they are very in control and know exactly what's going on, you can put your trust in them and sort of put your own feelings aside and maybe consider, well, this doesn't really feel great to me, but they have a grip on this. They can see the bigger picture where I can't. I'm just going to focus on my character and do what I need to do. And this is all going to turn out okay. I think Cats is more egregious than this because it was freaking Cats. It was something that was established. I mean, I don't care for the play myself. I find the whole thing to be bizarre, and it's a very polarizing play to begin with. But with that being said, like Cats was a very established, legendary show. You don't need to rewrite the book when something is so beloved the first time. This was something completely new. Ed Asner plays Hank Cooper. Ed Asner, I'm telling, I've I said it earlier, and I'll say it again. He had the best lines in the movie. He has some of the best dialogue I've ever heard in a Disney film, some of the wittiest dialogue I've ever heard in a Disney film, and it gets buried in this Disney film. Yeah, um, I would absolutely agree with that, but I will say that he did make his scene stronger. Where things felt really bad or really slow, his comedic timing and his delivery of those lines really helped push those scenes forward a little bit more and they felt better than any of the rest of it. Don Knotts plays Coach Venner and Don Knotts is completely wasted in this movie because yes, I mm-hmm. again, it, it, in, he's now been in three What the Februaries and I feel <laughs> bad about that, but it's not a knock on Don Knotts. Like he is a legend. And the thing is in Apple Dumpling Gang, like we loved him, at least in the first one, we loved him in Apple Dumpling Gang. He was so good in this film. Like they sort of just made him dumb He's a watered-down character, and I think that he was a complete waste of an opportunity here. He's also kind of playing the straight man in this, which just doesn't work for him. You need to give him those punchy one-liners, and you need to give him... I can't believe they squandered having him in this film by giving him no physical comedy. I mean, I get maybe that you didn't want to do... A retread of I th- well wait was this before Apple Dumpling? This Gang? was before this Apple was before, Dumpling, right? Yeah, yeah. So you didn't have that great pairing with Tim Conway yet, right? Um, I could see if it was after where they didn't want to do the retread, but I'm thinking in this case they just didn't know what they had pairing the two of them together. Yeah, because Tim Conway never even has a scene with Don Knotts. Uh, he plays Crankcase, and like. For what he was written to do, like, Tim Conway was really funny. He was great in this. I mean, he he was one of the bright spots in this disaster. Yeah, as was Tom Bosley, who plays Spinner. Yes. Th- that was, again, another surprise. I mean, Tom Bosley is mostly known as Howard Cunningham in Happy Days, um, playing Ron Howard's father. Right. Which started in 1974. This was 76. So Happy Days is like peaking now. It's a miracle they even got him. For me, though, he was always my David the Gnome. Yeah. That was, I mean, that was a staple in my house when I was a kid. So I was excited to see him in something else. And I wish it wasn't this. But (laughs) (laughs) I would say 
out out of all these pairings that they tried to do, um, like Gus and Andy and Ed Asner and Don Knotts, I would say that Tom Bosley and Tim Conway were probably the strongest comedic pairing in this film. Yeah, funny that David the Gnome is regarded as being one of the most controversial endings to a television show of all time. Did you not know this? No. David dies. David and his wife die in the final episode. But it's planned. I completely blocked that out. I forgot all about that. This is, wait, you're talking about like more controversial than like Sopranos lost the first iteration of Dexter? Yeah, because this was a show meant for children. <laughs> I'm putting it up there with Yeah, Sopranos with the yeah, with the yeah. On the one hand, a lot of people praised it for teaching young children about mortality, but maybe a little too young. <laughs> um, let's talk about... All right, let's talk about Liberty Williams as Debbie, because we talk about chemistry and a cast having chemistry together. I like Liberty Williams... I like her chemistry more with Rob Cargill. I don't buy her... As as a foil to each other, I found it kind of funny. I don't buy her with Andy. I see what you're saying, but I feel like her football player boyfriend was such a trope and he was so narcissistic. I didn't read that as comedy. I read it as like borderline verbal abuse. So I didn't find any of that funny. And I really liked her and Andy together. All right, so let's talk about Dick Butkus as Rob Cargill, legendary football player. Not known as an actor per se, but I think as the character, I I think it worked. I didn't hate Dick Butkus in this role. I think for the time period, too, I have to imagine this was like the equivalent of putting Dave Bautista in a film where like you need somebody that's that, or, or even The Rock, you need that physical brick house so i think that was a smart choice to cast an actual football player but as far as the character goes he is probably the most one-dimensional character in this film he is but that's what he's supposed to be and i think the difference between him and a dwayne johnson or a dave batista is dave batista and dwayne johnson you know physically they're in great shape as professional wrestlers there is a level of acting involved. A lot of these guys are not going to go on to win an Oscar. Let's not get it confused. But this is a professional athlete turned actor. In the case of the professional wrestler, it's an actor that you polish into a better actor. And I think that's why I was impressed with Dick Butkus. If I'm being honest, I forgot it was even him at first. Um, Bob Crane, Pepper. Uh. I mean, what? Scene stealer. <laughs> Scene stealer. And then Johnny Unitas. Poor Johnny Unitas. I've said it a few times. He get cast in this film to sit there and not be able to say a word. But to me, this was some of the best comedy in this film. I would have watched an entire film about these two characters. Okay. Final say on Gus. I'll go first. This is the exact what the February that I thought it was going to be (laughs) when I saw Don Knotts yelling at a donkey in a football helmet. Uh, This is a what the February that I sit here and I go, I can't believe that this is real. 
I can't believe we live in a world where this exists. And in, in an amazing way, I can't believe that we live in a world where not only does this exist, but this was a box office smash. This was a huge hit, and it is completely lost to time. If you are looking to sit back and laugh at something, perhaps if you were of age, have a few too many and laugh at something. Make a drinking game out of it. I think that this is certainly something I would put on the list. Uh, Am I ever going to watch this again? Probably in one of those nights where I've had one too many (laughs) and I decide I want to go and look into it again. Uh, and see if my opinion has changed. But am I in any particular rush to watch it again? No. But I'm actually glad that this is the film that we wound up with because, like, Fuzz Bucket was a great What the February. We ended up really loving the Apple Dumpling Gang. So I loved that I found something new in a What the February. But in a way, I was almost a little let down that it wasn't like a, oh, man, I kind of wanted a dumpster fire. Well, this is the dumpster fire I have been looking for. These are the droids that I've been looking for. <laughs> uh, that's what I, that, that's my final say on Gus. Uh, yeah, this makes me almost regret agreeing to do another What the February. Um, it has its moments, but certainly not enough to save it from the disaster that we all knew this was going to be. Um, I can't believe it was a box office success because I'm thinking of term in terms of this is about 10 years removed from Walt Disney's death and you feel every bit of it. Yeah. (laughs) Not having him at the helm. Um, Ron Miller and your helicopters. What, what are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) No wonder that, the animators of the 80s had to pull us out of this hole because they squandered the budgets on all of these helicopters. Um, Yeah, it's just, I can see where this was a good blueprint and I can see where this was probably a very charming and endearing script to read. It's just that having Gus as this through line, they didn't do enough to connect the rest of the characters and the rest of the story to it uh because i think that you could have had a much better film if you had edited the comedy bits down a little bit it would have felt a lot tighter it would have moved it along a lot more um and had you fleshed out the story between andy and his father and put that at the center it would have worked a lot better because gus is just not enough to carry the film i would agree And we want to know what you have to say about Gus. Have you seen it? Are you interested in seeing it? And we want to know if you have a request for what the February. Yes, we have a couple of more titles that we've been scoping out, not diving into anything other than the descriptions on Disney+. Um, But if there is something that you want to throw at us and think, you know, you think it's going to make us go, what the February... By all means, let us know. Yes. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at Monoreal Radio, or you can email us monorealradio at gmail.com. News of the week is coming up, but first, a quick break. If you're thinking of booking a trip to a Disney destination, you have to contact Jackie Zalezi from Magical Vacation Planner. My husband and I recently celebrated our 10-year wedding anniversary and wanted to go on a trip just the two of us. 
Jackie suggested Disneyland, knowing we'd never been and I had been dreaming of going. I am so thankful for her suggestion, as it was the most magical way to celebrate. Jackie got us a fantastic deal, but still constantly check for discounts to make sure we are guaranteed the lowest price. Having recently visited Disneyland, she was a great source for helpful information and had suggestions for everything, including meals, Max Pass, even places to visit in Los Angeles on our non-park day. Upon arrival at our hotel, we experienced the easiest check-in because Jackie had taken care of everything. Throughout our trip, Jackie was in constant contact, making sure we had everything we needed and answering any questions we had. Our vacation was Perfect. All thanks to Jackie Zalezi from Magical Vacation Planner. So if you would like completely free assistance planning your Disney vacation, especially if you're interested in a cruise, because we just went up to Cape Canaveral to see a rocket launch. The rocket didn't go, but we instead got to see the wish set sail. And it just, whatever pictures you've seen, it does not do it a justice. It looks magnificent. Uh, so I can help you out with a cruise. I can help you out with a Disney trip. I can help you out with a Disneyland trip. Uh, you can get in touch with me through any of our social media outlets at Monoreal Radio on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or you can email me directly at j.zolezzi, that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I, at MagicalVacationPlanner.com. Hi, this is Kelly from Carmen Kismet, your official Monorail news sponsor, and I am very excited to throw it over to Sean and Jackie to talk all about the Disney news. But before I do that, I want to make sure that I share with you guys where you can check out all of my Disney-inspired art at KarmaAndKismetDesigns.com. Don't forget, listeners of the show get a 10% discount with code monoreal10 at checkout to see everything that kelly has to offer it's online at karma and kismet that's karma the letter n kismet this is some polarizing news that i really don't want to spend a lot of time talking about i am just a roller coaster of emotions let's just start with the good starting next week we are getting Chippendale as the Rescue Rangers doing a meet and greet at Hollywood Studios over by Indiana Jones. It's it, about time. It's about time. I'm surprised we did not see more of them consistently after the reboot, not the comeback. But I'm glad that we're going to see them in Hollywood Studios. Yes, and I think that's the perfect park to put them in. I mean, I know that Chippendale are more associated with your core characters, so that's where you see them in Magic Kingdom. But I think because it's Rescue Rangers, because it's a nod to the Disney afternoon, uh, and because they're dressed like Indiana Jones, at least one of them is, um, it, it's just so appropriate to find them in studios. Yes, and we got some film news this week. We have announcements for Zootopia 2, Frozen 3, Toy Story 5. Sequels, sequels, and more sequels that nobody asked for. Well, no, I shouldn't say that because everybody wants a Frozen 3 and the cast has been dancing around it for quite a while. So that wasn't a complete surprise, but I was not able to get even properly excited about it because you follow that up with Toy Story 5. Did we not, me especially, when we reviewed Lightyear, come up with a thousand other things that we would like to see rather than a sequel? Actually, no, not even. We said take a break. Take like a 15 or 20 year break. Yeah, I, I'll be honest with you. you I, I'm not going to rehash the same stuff we've said over and over again. I'm going to keep this short and sweet. We don't need a fifth film. I, I'm not interested in a fifth film. I don't want a fifth film. 
frankly, I'm more excited about Zootopia 2 than I am anything else because we knew we were getting a third Frozen film. And Zootopia, they've kind of danced around it for a while. They did the shorts on Disney+, Plus, which were a lot of fun. So of all of them, that was the one that I think was the least expected and the one that I am the most excited for. But in terms of a fifth Toy Story, like, it's, I'm over it. I'm done. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot that they can continue to do with the Zootopia world because they built out the world so much. Yeah. So you could keep doing either the shorts. I mean, those shorts are so funny because they spoofed all different genres of television. But you really could dive a little bit deeper with those characters and keep the Disney Plus series going. But at the same time, I feel like that would leave people wanting more of Judy and Nick's story. So... I'm not busted up about it. Um, I'll, I'm actually going to be looking forward to a Zootopia sequel. But um, yeah, I, I just can't believe that they would go with a Toy Story 5 when Incredibles is just sitting there. Yeah. That would be like the perfect round out to do a trilogy with the Incredibles and, and see what Dash and Violet are up to now that they're growing up, perhaps even as their parents are thinking about maybe taking a step back as they're aging and see how Jack-Jack has harnessed his powers as he's growing. Like, to me, that that's a natural fit. Like, there is a story there. Yeah, and not for anything, but... Craig T. Nelson is, is in his 80s. Like, come on, let's get let's get the ball rolling on this, folks. Yeah. We want to know what you have to say about the news this week. You can let us know on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Monoreal Radio, or you can email us, monorealradio at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for joining us this and every week on Monoreal Radio. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and rate us on your podcast platform of choice. Be sure to follow us on that social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Monoreal Radio. And for everything related to the show, you will find it online at monorealradio.com. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.